love you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your presence with such a shelter. In our time of storm, in our hour of need, we thank you, Lord. 
for your presence, which is a shelter that keeps us, hovers over us, protects us and deflects from our lives. All those things the enemy would try to hurl against us to discourage and to defeat us. Lord, we thank you for your presence that never leaves us, forsakes us, or fails us. And help us to be a people that know how to rest and trust in the abiding, protecting presence of our King. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. And we thank you for that blessed assurance that all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as we were singing and praising the Lord, the, the kind of vision that I had in my mind what was that of um, you ever get caught in a real terrible hailstorm where you can have hail like the size of ice balls, like ice snowballs. And sometimes you get caught out in a field and one of, those, one of those things come through and they can do some damage. But if there's a pavilion nearby, when you're quick to run into that pavilion, there's that place of safety. And though there's a storm all around you, and it might be breaking windows on cars, and it might be damaging, and it might just be, but you're there safe and secure. And I just, and I just seeing that thing, seeing that thing, the Lord's like, yeah, in this world there's storms and there's things, but my presence is like a pavilion. My love that hovers over my people is like a, a pavilion. And then we learn how to rest in Him. And we learn how just to trust in Him and know that our times are in His hands. And even though in this world there are storms and things that hit us suddenly, yet when we know how to rest under the pavilion of God's love, though all around us there can be damage and devastation, we are safe and we are secure. And I want to thank the Lord that His hand covers over our lives. Amen. I want to thank the Lord that the presence of God watches over us and like a pavilion keeps us and protects us from all the things that would try to damage and defeat us. And let's remember that and walk confidently. Because we cannot always live storm-free. That's not real. But we can be confident in a loving God that watches over us and keeps us, even in the midst of those things. His presence is His pavilion that protects us and keeps us. Can you say amen? Amen. God bless you. Young people, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Amen. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. And the adults, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So good to see everybody out this morning. God been good to you? Amen. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm going to talk about lessons from the fall. Lessons from the fall or perils in paradise. Beginning in Genesis 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? Whew, right from the beginning, trying to get you to doubt that God said what he meant and meant what he said, trying to attack that word. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said. Ooh. Now I was going to tell you, God, <laughs> I'll save that for later. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Perils in paradise. Learning to recognize the enemy's strategy and its objectives, to identify them, and then learning how to properly resist them. Our outline will be something very simple. Number one, the enemy. Number two, the strategy. Number three, the tragedy. And number four, the discovery. You know, the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's where we find creation and covenants, the human history, marriage, children, the family, sin and death, the promise of a redeemer, the human civilization, the Jewish nation. It's a book of beginnings. And there's much to learn by studying our past, much to learn. When we study our past, Winston Churchill once said, the longer you look back, the further you can look forward. King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he said these things, and he's speaking of God's dealings to Israel, their failures and his dealings with them. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. That's learning from the past. There is much we can learn from the story of the fall of man. For the fall affects us all. Every ache you've ever had, every tear you've ever shed, every pain you've ever bore, the fall affects us all. No one is exempt. We thank God that it won't always be like this. But for now, we live in a fallen world and we're creatures of a fallen condition. And so the lessons that we find in the very beginning of the Word of God are very relevant and instructive for today and for the now. So this morning, we just want to walk through our outline, and we'll try to exhort and instruct and encourage till um, the clock yells at me that it's time to wind it down and let you all go home. Amen. Number one, I want you to see the enemy. Verse one, the enemy. The Bible begins by saying, now the serpent was more crafty, more subtle. Remember, there's nothing new under the sun. We know from the teaching of the Word of God that we have an enemy and an adversary. He's cunning and he's crafty. Jesus said in John's Gospel that he's a thief, he's a liar, he's a murderer. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a great deceiver and he's a hard taskmaster. He's the one that holds men captive to sin and to suffering. The Bible teaches us that we have a real enemy and he's dangerous. He's a serpent who deceives He's a lion that attempts to devour, 1 Peter. We're taught to give him no place in our lives and in our homes, Ephesians 4. We're taught to learn his strategies so we're not outwitted or deceived or defeated by him, 2 Corinthians 2. And of course, most of us are familiar. Ephesians 6, we're taught to put on the whole armor of God so we can take our stand and resist him and prevail against him and defeat the enemy of our soul. Now, his goal is to somehow try to drive a wedge between you and God. He deceives to alienate men from God, and then he accuses to alienate God from man. He'll try to sidetrack you in your race of faith. 
He'll try to frustrate you in your fight of faith. He'll try to discourage you in this march. But let us never, never, never forget the devil is a liar and the devil is a defeated foe. Can you say amen? In fact, your elder brother Jesus destroyed him 2,000 years ago and has given you and I that love the Lord, has given us power and resources to live out that victory in this present world, in our present lives. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare, they're not earthly, but man, they're mighty. Can you say amen? Through God, they're mighty. So don't, don't, don't be overwhelmed. The, the devil is real. His, his, his goal is real. But you and I have been given power to stand against him and overcome him. Greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. Now one of the greatest resources that we're given is the word of God understanding and wisdom so we can know his strategies and know how to properly defeat him. So we can understand the beauty and the glory of Calvary and recognize who we are, sons and daughters of God, and walk in that authority and walk in that great victory. Now, in order to wage an effective warfare, we have to understand how the enemy operates. Ignorance does kill. We need to recognize how to properly resist him. Now, now a good natural example of this Comes from that movie Patton. It was a classic. Amen? Oh, it was a classic. I know most of you men had to see that one. George C. Scott played that great general. In the North African campaign. Now, that's World War II for those who slept through history class. I know some. I'll talk to some of y'all. You barely made it through any. All right, so I'm just going to get you on with us here. General Patton is going head to head with that outstanding German General Rommel, the Desert Fox. And there's a beautiful scene in the movie as Patton stands on top of a hill with his binoculars. He's watching the battle down below in the desert. He's watching the tanks go at it. And he's seeing the tide begin to turn and the Allied troops begin to win and get the upper hand. And he shouts, I read your book! What in the world does that mean, Dad? Dad, explain it to me. In between the world wars, Rommel had written a book on tank warfare and strategy. Assuming that one day he would meet him on the battlefield, Patton read the book, knew his enemy's tactics, was able to fight with great understanding and finally defeat that great German general. And you know, friend, you and I have a book. It makes us wiser than our enemies. It equips us to deal with him effectively. It exposes his strategy. It shows you and I revealing our authority and our weaponry. Let's read the book and be wiser than our enemy. Can you say amen? So number one, we recognize there is an enemy, but God has given us understanding so we can understand how he works and we can resist that and overcome that. Now let's look at that strategy. There's at least three things to beware of here. Three things we'll just kind of glean out of this story. And number one, the enemy wants to wear you down. Wants to wear you down. Remember Jesus talked about people fainting along the way. Collapsing along the way. He wants to wear down the saints. First Peter 5 talks about the relentlessness of the enemy prowling about like that lion. And our faith has to be just as firm to resist him and stand against him. But he will try to wear down the believer's strength, the believer's will, the believer's faith, the believer's discernment, trying to empty or exhaust us emotionally, mentally, spiritually. 
You know, the word often says how Jesus went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. See, what the devil, he oppresses, he presses down. He pushes down. He weighs people down. That drains them, that tires them, that wearies them. And if he can wear a person down or drain them, it weakens their resolve. It weakens their ability to see and discern and make wise choices. It breaks down their ability to finally stand, having done all to stand. Makes them vulnerable to attack and deception. It makes them vulnerable and easier to just give up and give in. Again, it affects discernment and decision-making. And there's many things the enemy uses. Here we just see he keeps coming back. Every time Eve said, he got another answer. He got another answer. He just, he's relentless. If you don't put your foot down, he'll just wear you down. You got to let him know, I got more than you got. If anyone's going to wear it down, it's going to be you, devil. Can you say amen? May, he uses many things, but I want you to note, God placed in my heart, guard your heart. From the long, lingering effects of offenses, disappointments, and frustrations of this fallen world. Guard your heart from past accidents, tragedies, frustrations, offenses, disappointments. For the enemy will definitely use those things to attack your faith in God, to take your confidence in God. Just to drain you of your strength to go on in God. People get tired. They don't show up. People get tired. They stop doing their devotion. People get tired. He wears them down. He wears them down. You see the greatest coaches, man, they run you. They run you. They run you. They run you. The game, you can't win the game in the first quarter. You can't win the game in the second quarter. You can't win the game in the third quarter. But you can win the game in the you got to have endurance. you got to be ready to go. Because if you're wearing down at the end, the other team wins. And the enemy understands the the endurance that we have to have in order to withstand his attacks. So he'll try to use various things. So I guard your heart from offenses. In this world, there are offenses. In this world, because, again, the fall affects us all. We deal with things of sicknesses and diseases. We deal with accidents. We deal with things that seem unfair and seem unkind. And he'll use those things and he'll piggyback on those things to try to drive a wedge, to try to take out your strength and rip away your joy. Weakened faith, stealing joy, clouding discernment. And above all, trying to frustrate our hope and we'll get later on why our hope is so important. But this is a very real tactic of the enemy. In fact, when we study the Bible, we see that many mighty men, people like Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, they were all brought to a place of wanting to quit and give up. But they finally just got exhausted and worn down and disappointment, frustrated in the will of God. Esau, not that he was a man of God, but he sold his birthright when he got tired, didn't he? So we've got to watch the enemy driving us, wearing us, breaking us down. He'll use various things. And we've got to recognize that. We've got to recognize that. It's a tactic. He'll use temptation. He'll use disappointment. He'll use condemnation, accusation, distraction, sorrow. Beware of it. Recognize it. Watch the things that tend to wear you down and erode your resolve. And do your very best to practice the things that keep you, how can we say it, spiritually hydrated. 
and spiritually strong and spiritually vibrant to continue to fight this good fight of faith. In the fall, we see the enemy. He keeps coming. She answers. He's got an answer. She answers. He's got an answer. He builds his case. He prods more and more, wears her down, deceiving her. And he attempts to do the same to us today. So, child of God, watch your weariness and stand firm in your faith. Watch your weariness. He wants you to believe the lie. He wants you to give up the fight. He wants you to let down your moral guard and give in to the compromise or the doubt. The exhaustion. Stand firm in your faith and tap in to the multiple resources that God has given us that we can stay strong, that we can run and not grow weary, we can walk and not faint. Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. There's enough in this life to make us thirsty, to make us weary. But there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There is a place in God that you can go to again and again, day by day, and receive refreshment and renewing and and resurrection life to fight this fight and continue on. There is a source from heaven that we can tap into that gives us all we need for every step of the way. And though we can't avoid the fight of faith, it's a fight to the very end, yet God has made available to His people resources that we will not wear down, but we'll stay strong and we'll overcome. Can you say amen? Watch your weariness. You and I can resist Him. We're not ignorant of what He's trying to do. We are filled with God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. We have the privilege of prayer. We have the revelation of God's Word. And we have the help and support of the family. He'll try to wear you down, but you make up your mind. As for me and my house, you stand firm in your faith and don't back out. Reminds me of a story. It was an old Jewish fable. But it makes a point on being committed to stand. No matter how weary or how hard things get, a just man comes to Sodom hoping to save the city. He pickets, he marches, he gets billboards out. What else can you do? He goes from street to street, marketplace to marketplace, and he shouts, men and women, repent. What you're doing is wrong. It'll kill you. It'll destroy you. But they laugh, and he goes on shouting. They laugh, and he goes on shouting, until one day, finally, a little child stops and says, Poor stranger, don't you see it's useless? And the man replies, Yes, I do. Then why do you keep going on and on, the child asks. And the man replies, You know, I was convinced that I could change them. Now I go on shouting because I don't want them to change me. Keep the standard. Keep that firm faith. Keep that commitment to that which is Bible and that which is true. And if anyone's going to wear it down, let the devil's crowd wear it down. Somebody say amen. We've got something to stand for. We've got something to talk about. We've got something to believe in. And we've got the strength of God that will help us do it. Glory be to his name. Let us note a couple of things that are just basic things. I know older folks, I know this is basic. Some basic things that keep us strong on this journey. It is the will of God that we be finishers. It's God's will that you and I, that call ourselves Christians, finish this race and finish strong. All of us should be familiar 
with the words of the Apostle Paul as he's waiting his martyrdom, he's waiting his execution. And he writes at the end of his life, his testimony. He says, I have fought the good fight. Let's fight the good fight. Amen. Let's not fight a worldly fight. And let's not fight selfish fight. Let's fight the good fight of faith. The fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I fought the good fight and I finished my race. That's the key. I finished my race. It's not so much where I used to be 20 years ago. It's where I am right now. Loving Jesus and serving Jesus and walking with Jesus. Amen. And though outwardly I'm wasting away and I'm not what I used to be, but my faith is still strong. Amen. My devotion is still strong. Man, he said, I fought the good fight and I finished my race. Make sure you're a finisher. Finish strong. Finish strong. Finish strong. Yes. Man, we were with Patty just two days ago. And she's just waiting to go home. And in the between it all, she's just praising the Lord. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you. You're in control. Lord, I thank you. I belong to you. Lord, I thank you. Oh, I'm going to finish strong. Amen. Going to finish strong. Not going to finish complaining. Not going to finish just expressing doubt. Going to finish this race praising Jesus. Amen. Got into this thing praising Jesus. Going to leave this thing praising Jesus. And the first thing I'm going to see when I leave this old world, Jesus. Oh, my. Finish that race and keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Don't let them faith stealers get you. Keep the faith. Two things to help you and I stay strong and finish this race. Number one, stay connected with Christ. Stay connected with Christ. Develop a daily devotion and walk with Christ. Don't live off Sunday school from 20 years ago. Don't live off something you learned mentally when you were a child but has no more reality and demonstration in your life. Stay connected with Christ. Develop a daily devotion and walk. Jesus in John's gospel called it abiding in the vine, remaining in that vine, maintaining a personal relationship with the one you call on. Grow in your personal walk with Jesus. Have daily prayer, prayer. Talk with the Lord and let him talk with you. Talk with the Lord. Commune with him. Communicate. Drink from his presence in prayer and then feed on his word. Jesus said, Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And when you feed on the Bible, there is nourishment, there is life, there is divine energy for your soul, for your heart, for your mind, as you feed on the bread of life. Word of God, it's still milk for babes and meat for men. And it'll sustain you. Prayer and the Word. And having the attitude of a finisher. The attitude of one that finishes is one that has the attitude of hope in God, of learning how to wait upon the Lord. You know, we're so familiar, most of us, with Isaiah 40 and 31, that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up on wings like as of eagles. Oh, that's glorious. Where hell tries to wear down the believer. But those that know how to wait upon the Lord. Or that word in the Hebrew. How to hope in God. How to have an expectation in God. They're the ones that can go through anything. And it's interesting. If you go ahead and toss that up there. Um, Isaiah 40 and 31. And the Bible teaches us. They that wait upon the Lord. 
In the previous verse, the author says, and even young men and women faint, even the strong faint. You know, even those that are the best emotionally and financially in this world go through times where they're exhausted and life just beats them down and wears them down. But the prophet says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew. That word renew means exchange their strength. They'll give God their weariness and God will grant them divine strength. They'll give God their hurt and God will give them divine comfort. They'll give God their confusion and heaven will give them discernment and wisdom from above. They that wait or have a firm hope in God. I have a hope in God. Life can hit me, but I've got a hope in God. This world can confuse me, but I've got a hope in God. Men can offend me, but I have a hope in God that my God will defend me and my God will defeat them and my God will bring me safely through to the other side. Somebody say amen. Oh, glory be to God. For those that wait or hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like as of eagles. Even though the young and even though those that have other resources will fall along the wayside, that man or woman that knows how to wait upon the Lord, put their hope in the Lord. A God that won't fail us. A God that won't forsake us. A God that will bring us through. Even if we got to cry and we got to weep, He'll bring us through safely to the other end. We'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they won't faint. As one writer said, strength to mount up above the moment with His strength and walk on and sing on and march on. We're headed somewhere, praise God. The power of hope, the power of an expectation that God will. Life hits me, but I know God will deal with life and God will deliver me from the enemy and God will defend me to the end and God will give me the strength I need to carry on and finish this race. Number one, stay connected with Christ. Being connected with Christ speaks of prayer. It speaks of the Bible, word, feeding on that word. But it speaks of having a hope and a confidence in the Lord that my times are in His hands. He's in control of it all. And I'm going to trust Him in that. And I'm going to believe Him in that. And I'm going to find rest in that. And when I believe in that, I've tapped into heaven itself. If I put my hope in the Lord, I'm tapping in with an expectation that God will do everything He said He would do. Can you say amen? Keeps you going. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. So we just put it this way. Stay connected with Christ and stay consistent in church. Because that's one of the ways Christ works. Through the body. As we encourage one another and pray one for another. We need one another. That's how God intended it. Eve got isolated. I don't know if the old man wasn't doing his job and he lost track of his home. That happens sometimes, you know. Where was Adam? Or maybe she just drifted and got isolated. But either way, you get prey to that devil when you get isolated. You start thinking, well, I can worship on my own. The devil is a liar. (laughs) You tell yourself that line. It's not a Bible line. I'll tell you that much. You need the church. You need to be faithful in the church. You need to be part of the church. Come on, give me an amen. You know, things usually work better when you follow the designer's design <laughs> the manufacturers um, you know it usually works better when we follow the directions 
in the directions of the Bible. We need one another. And God intended it that way. The family of God, ordained by God, that we would encourage, help, uplift, support one another as we work together for the great commission of Christ. Take advantage and be faithful to the body of Christ, to the church. There's great benefit and safety, support, and strength from one another. We enjoy an increase of blessing, of protection, and wisdom when we join together. There's greater provision together. There, there comes from the uniting, from the participation, the cooperation of the family, a great increase in our ability or in our power as we join our faith and we join our prayers and we join our efforts. There's great increase in our capabilities as our gifts come together. And all of a sudden there's a multiple of gifts and capabilities that we are not so limited as when we're isolated. But now we have other people's gifts and they have our gifts and they work together. There's a greater watchfulness when we know others can have our back. It's so much easier for the enemy to deceive an individual than to deceive a whole group. Others can see. Others have different perspectives. It's wonderful to know someone has my back. And though the enemy might be wearing one person down, someone else can see it and come to the aid through their prayers and their intercessions. Oh, how many times through all these years and years of pastoring, sometimes uh, every now and again, you know, just hell is just hitting you. You're just getting hit by hell. You know what I mean? Just getting hit by hell. And then all of a sudden, nothing changes in the natural. But midway, and three hours later, something breaks, something lifts, and you know somebody touched God for me. Somebody. You'd be a fool to think otherwise. I need the church. You need the church. We need one another. God ordained it that way. You argue with God. He knew what he was doing. (laughs) Our capacity to do so much more for the kingdom of God as we come together and work together. Number one, remember the enemy will try to wear a person down, exhaust us, to get us to give up, to lose discernment to make bad decisions, to give up in this race of faith. The Bible says there's refreshing to receive and there's a resisting that we must do. Let's stay connected with Christ and let's stay consistent to church. Can you say amen? Number two, the enemy not only tries to wear down the believer, he tries to bring the believer to a place of wavering in our belief and in our confidence in the word of God. You see verse 1 again. Did God really say? You must not. Did God really say? And he's trying here to plant that seed of doubt. Concerning the word of God. Did God really say? That you see doubt. That led to denial. Then disobedience. And then death. Start out you doubt that word. You start denying that word. You start disobeying that word, disobey that word, the last D is death. The enemy attacks God's word. He always has. This is in the garden. Has anything changed? From the very beginning, the enemy attacks God's word. Does God say what he means? It means what he says. The enemy knows faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the... And it's our faith that's of the greatest importance. You can have everything else, man. We can give you plaques. You're the best person Pleasant Grove ever had. But if you lose your faith, you lose everything. 
Man, you can have everything else. If you lose your faith, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Our faith is strengthened, matured, nourished, established on the Word, through the Word of God. So if he attacks the Word, he can have everything. doesn't matter if you have faith in the wrong thing, you've got to have faith in the right thing. You can have faith in this, faith in that, faith in granny, faith. All that won't get you to heaven. It's faith in the gospel. It's faith in the word. And what that word has um, told us. So, you know, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I prayed that your faith fail not. Because you can lose a lot of things in this world. Don't lose your faith. I mean, this world can strip away a lot of things. Don't lose your faith. So we see here how the enemy attempts to erode her confidence in the word of God. And today God's word is still under attack. I know in some places it's just neglect. And that's a shame on our part. But in other areas it's just attacked from the world, from the backslidden church. It's accused of being old-fashioned, outdated. Say it won't work today, not practical for modern man. But let every man and devil be a liar. God's word is true and you can trust your Bible. You can apply it to every area of your life. You can let it govern and guide it every step of your way. Don't allow anything or anybody to move you from a sincere confidence and obedience to the word of God. Build your life on the word of God. Battle life storms with the word of God. Become the one God has called and destined you to be by submitting and yielding and believing the word of God. The enemy prods, the enemy baits. Hath God said? Planting that doubt. Planting that doubt. Hath God said? There's only one way to salvation. His name is Jesus. Planting that doubt. Hath God said? Man got one man. One woman. Death to your part. Have God challenges that. Challenges that. Because he gets us from that. He gets us from everything. Oh, my. That's why we see in this world today the moral foundations crumbling in so many areas. That spirit of confusion is just arising here and arising there because men have bitten into that thing and begin to wonder, has God said? But you and I that know God, you and I that have walked with this God, we should have a ready response for the enemy of our soul. We should have a ready response for this present world that would try to seduce, that would try to attack and try to dislodge us from a pure and unshakable confidence in the word of God. Hath God said? Well, we can respond. Yes, God has said. God has said. He'll never leave me. And he'll never forsake me. Therefore, I'm going to live this life with a confidence and a blessed assurance. With a peace that passes understanding. Because I know God is with me. And I know God, God has said that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. 
so we can look at ourselves and be confident in our faith and we never have to feel that we're inadequate for the job or insufficient for the fight because we don't fight in our own strength but we fight in the strength of the Lord our God. It's no longer I that liveth, Paul said, but Christ that liveth in me. Yes, yes, yes. God hath said that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world that no weapon formed against me will prosper. God has said that we're the head and not the tail. God has said that in Jesus we are forgiven. In Jesus we are free of all condemnation. In Jesus we are chosen and dearly loved. God has said, Slewfoot, this one's for you. God has said there's coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ and Jesus alone is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh yeah, God has said, God has said, when the devil tries to plant that seed of doubt in you, hath God said, go ahead and pick up that sword of the Spirit, bat him back. Go ahead, God has said. Jesus said, it is written, God has said. Hey, God has said. Yes, he has. God has said. Oh, God has said. This world, not our home, we passing through this thing, Amen. Looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. God has said. Yeah. Heaven and earth will pass away, but those words, that word, that word, God has said. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. No, 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 no. It's not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the precious blood of Jesus. You won't get to heaven because Granny was a saint. Amen. You won't get to heaven because you went to the right church. You'll get to heaven only because the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you and washed you and made you brand new. It is written. Mm, Hath God said. Sometimes you've got to talk back to that devil. Amen. Pick up that sword of the Spirit. Don't be that devil's punching bag. That's how he wears you down. Rise up. Get the word of the Lord. Oh, Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Man, let that Spirit come on you. Run him off. God has said. God has said. God has said. Mm. God has said. Oh, Lord, help us. God has said if you'll resist the devil, he'll flee from you. God has said. Yeah, he has. God has said. Put on the whole armor of God. Take your stand against the enemy. God has said. The weapons of your warfare... They're not earthly, but man, they're mighty through God. Go ahead and use them. Amen? The strategy, trying to wear them down. Try to wear you down. You've got to guard your heart and guard your life. Recognize the things that tend to wear you down. Expose them. Identify them. Deal with them. Cut off the source. Give no place to the devil. Close the door. If you know there's something that drains you and you can avoid it, change it. If you know there's something that seems to address it. Amen? You use wisdom in this fight of faith. It'll try to wear you down. If you learn to stand, you know that bully, that bully will mess with you until you stand, hit him in the chops. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? You let that thing mess with you, he'll mess with you. Isn't that true? He'll pry on weakness every time. Let the enemy know. You go jump on someone else. You come in here, it's a battle. You come into this house. Amen? I don't need to call that prayer chain. I'm going to storm heaven. I'm going to touch God. Oh, you want to fight? You got one here, buddy. Isn't that right? Come on. Come on. Righteous is supposed to be as bold as a lion. Not, not as peepy as a mouse. Come on. I was going to tell you, you got to learn to put that foot down. 
Stand firm. But then they'll try to get you to waver concerning your confidence in the Word of God. You can trust the Bible. You can trust the promises. You can trust the commandments. You can trust the warnings. You can trust the Word of God. And he'll try to get you to doubt it, because if you doubt it, you'll start denying it. If you doubt it, you won't obey it. And if you deny it, after a while, you're disobeying it. And he knows if you'll disobey, well, that's coming down. That's that's another point. Number three, he tries to, well, he tries to get you to wither. Wither, I had all W's. Weariness, wavering, and withering. Though that's kind of a tongue twister. And, um, but he'll try to get you not only to doubt the word of God, he will try to get you to doubt the character of the God of the word. You notice in verses 4 and 5, he kind of changes his aim from not just hath God said, but now he's going to attack the very character of God. If he can get you to somehow believe this God is not a good God, that this God is not a worthy God, that this God is not a faithful God. You know, if you've ever done any kind of street witnessing, you, you run into people of all different shapes and sizes, and it's kind of fun, you know, to talk with people. And sometimes you hear someone say, Ooh, I don't want to serve a God, and they'll go listing off what they think God is. I say, man, if that's how God was, I wouldn't serve him either. Who I want to serve a God that, you know, he's done this, he's done that. Whoa, <laughs> that's not my God. No, 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 that's the devil. That's man's poor, selfish choices. That's man's inhumanity to man. That's not my God. If that was my God, I'd give up serving him too. And the devil will try to somehow get you to miss, he'll try to misrepresent God so that you no longer believe in the goodness and the character of God. Verses 4 and 5, he simply says here, you won't die, you won't die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. Number one, he's going to attack the truthfulness of God. You won't die. But if God says you're going to die, guess what? Yeah. For God knows. Now he's attacking the love of God, the goodness of God. See, God's trying to keep something from you. Yeah, pain, sorrow, shame. You know, he's, God, God, God's trying to keep something, character. So let's look at this a little bit here. We see that the attack on the character of God, the enemy not only attacks God's word, but he attacks God's goodness and God's holiness and God's justice. Instead of a loving creator to embrace and serve, the devil attempts to make God out to be a rival that we should somehow avoid, outwit, some kind of killjoy. But nothing, nothing could be farther from the truth. He does that a lot of times, especially in the younger years. He tries to paint this wrong picture of God. Instead of being a good God that one ought to serve and seek first his kingdom, it's someone that's trying to hinder and, you know, hold back from fun. But then after the reaping comes, we realize. He attacks by telling men that God does not have your best interest in mind. Remember, he's a deceiver. He's been a liar from the beginning. And his motives are deadly, even when his words Sounds so good and appealing to the natural man. You know, the devil says some things that sound good to the natural man. But the motivation and the reality behind it is something totally different. You've got to watch the motives of people. Can you say amen? 
I read a story some time ago of this girl by the name of Maria. She had broken up with her boyfriend, Jimmy. I don't know. She lost that loving feeling, whatever it was. She lost it. She said, Jimmy, it's over. Just don't want to be with you anymore. It's just not connecting, just not clicking. Well, a year went by. A year, a whole year went by, and out of the blue, Jimmy gets a letter from Maria. Dear Jimmy, I miss you so much. I think of you all day long. My mind is constantly on you. I just don't want to be apart anymore. I don't know why we ever broke it off. Jimmy, let's get back together again. P.S. Congratulations on winning that $10 million lottery. Amen. <laughs> you got to watch some motivations on people. Amen. What's your motive? What's your motive? What's your motive? The enemy's attacking, and he's trying to make these arguments that sound noble and sound brilliant. You ever listen to these devils? I mean, I didn't mean to talk about judges and congressmen like that. But you ever listen to some of these people? They're supposed to be wise. They don't know the difference between a boy and a girl. And those jokers in the Ivy League schools are applauding that nonsense. Don't know I have enough common sense, so they got degrees out the ear. Don't have enough moral consciousness and courage. They're going to let a boy call himself a girl and swim against the girl. Is that the stupidest thing you ever heard or what? And these are in Ivy League schools. They're supposed to be the smart ones. Lord have mercy. But you know when you're away from God, your brain don't work like it's supposed to work. When you're rebelling against the living God, your brain don't work like it was intended to work. And you're darkened in your understanding because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are. That was a side issue. I'm getting tired of that one. Isn't that right? They're haughty and they're proud. We went to Harvard. We went to... You're so stupid. And morally a coward. You can't know the difference. A boy and a girl. Lord have mercy. Right? And they don't want to make the child of God feel bad. Oh, no. Don't let that devil weigh you down with that nonsense. And this is how he attacks in the very beginning. Attacks in the very beginning. He attacked the love of God. Eve, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's a killjoy. Don't listen to him. If God loved you so much, how come he's putting limits on you? If God loved you so much, how come you can't do what you want when you want it? Why does God say you can't eat of that? You need to be free. God's holding you back. Yeah, from heartache. It's not worth serving God, is it? The enemy's saying here, Eve, God's not good. But how many know God is good? He's keeping good things from you. He doesn't want you to know this. He doesn't want you to have this experience and this revelation. You'd be better off without his restraints. Be free. Well, we see where that's got in the human race. You can't throw off the rule of your creator and your redeemer. And expect to walk in blessing. Go ahead, Eve. Take a leap into life. Be free from his restraints. She did. It became a suicidal plunge. That happens when you throw off the restraints of God. Never, never, never doubt God's love for you. God's will is good. God's word is good. God's commandments are good. God's disciplines are good. Every command God has ever given you and I, every boundary, every law that God has ever given us is an extension and an expression of His love for us. 
He gives us borders and boundaries because He loves us and He knows what's best for us. As if the clay can look at the potter and say, I know more than you. Then we'll attack the love of God. Never doubt God's love for you. No matter what you're going through, nobody loves you more than Jesus. No one can ever love you more than the one that died for you and shed his blood for you. As much as we love our children, as much as we love, we can't even imagine the love of God for those created in his image, those that he sent his only begotten son to shed blood and die for, that we could be united again. For God so loved this world. Not a good world, not a pretty world, not a holy world, an ugly world, a, a vile world, a fallen world. God so loved this world. We were once part of it. And He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe can be forgiven, can have to perish, can have eternal life. For God demonstrated His love while we were still sinners, not while we were trying to turn the leaf, while we were in our steep rebellion. God demonstrated his love, and while we were still sinners, Romans 5 and 8, Jesus died for you, and Jesus died for me. Oh, my. And friend, if he loved you and I so much when we were sinners doing our own thing, how much more now that we're sons trying to please him and trying to serve him? Does that make sense to anybody? Oh, the devil will try to attack the love of God to you. He'll try to tell you doing things God's way is not the smartest thing. It's always the smartest thing to do it God's way. Follow God's plan. Live, be governed by God's guidance. Don't doubt His love. He loves you and He knows what He's talking about. God is good. Even when life is hard. And He loves us and His ways are perfect and they are best. And we see here that the enemy attacked the love of God. He attacks the character of God, attacks the goodness of God, but then he attacks the truth of God. He attacks the justice of God, the holiness of God. The enemy's great lie, you won't die. You can do your own thing, and there will be no consequences. The enemy's great lie, you can ignore the Almighty, and there will be no ripple effects from that decision. There'll be no consequences if you choose to disobey. That's make-believe, the devil says. That's all thinking, the devil says. But we know many, many, many of them wept bitter tears for believing such a lie. Strategy led to the tragedy because they believed his lies. They thought they could get away with doing their own thing. And sin did bring a separation and a sorrow, and a death, and a shame. Sin brings a shame. The world try to wipe away shame. But sin brings shame. Sin brings shame. The tragedy. But then the discovery. Then the discovery. Wow. Whew. They discovered that after they had blatantly disobeyed, they had believed a lie, they had disregarded God and His Word, they found themselves naked and ashamed, exposed. They found out that God kept coming after them, that God chose not to give up on them. The discovery, I'm so glad God didn't give up on me. How about you? The great discovery after the terrible fall and the terrible deception 
that God was still seeking and God was still speaking to his man. God was still seeking and they ran, they hid, but God sought after them. What a God. They did the thing that God said not to do and they knew they did it wrong and they ran, but God in his mercy kept coming after them. Somebody, God's still coming after you. God is still coming after you. God is still coming after you. Because he loves you and he desires you and he's got a good plan for your life. And the enemy might have hoodwinked you. The devil might have deceived you and and messed with you. And you got a reaping and it hurts to reap. We all rep. And it hurts to reap. Enemy will jump on that. But God is reaching for you. God is calling for you. God is seeking you out to restore you and to clothe you and to get you back to where you need to be. You know, Billy Sunday, that great evangelist from the early 1900s, he was that pro ball player that got saved and had these great tent meetings. He used to say, sinners can't find God for the same reason criminals can't find a policeman. They aren't looking for one. Now I'll tell you what, God's looking and God's calling and God's reaching for you. If you're within the sound of my voice, God's calling for you. You might have rejected him 101 times. God's calling for you. God loves you. God's willing to receive you. God's willing to forgive you. God's willing to use you again if you come and make that fresh altar. Jesus, I've come to seek and save. He never gives up seeking and saving. And he's seeking. God, full of mercy. He came, he sought He won't let a person go that easy. Thank God for that. We see that from the very beginning. We see that from the very beginning. The patience, the love, the mercy, the pursuing of God. He's seeking and he's speaking. He's calling. He's calling them. They stopped calling, but he's calling them. You might have stopped praying, but God's calling you. You might have stopped serving God like you once did. God's calling you. You might have thought, maybe if I just get away long enough, He'll stop bugging me. No, God loves you too much. He's going to bug you and call you until you get things right with him because he loves you. Oh, my, 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 my. Oh, we got to stop there. That's it. Hallelujah. Time's up. Buzzer went off. Hallelujah. Oh, man. Nothing new under the sun. Same tactics today. Same grace and mercy of God today. Amen. Amen. All right. If you're here today, maybe you find yourself hiding from the presence of the Lord. I'm not saying you've gone over the deep end. Maybe you have. But maybe you're hiding from the presence of God. You're not where you need to be. You're trying to stay far enough away, but you know if God's calling, you respond. Let Him fill you fresh. Let Him minister fresh to your life. Maybe you're here today. And you can say, I'm, I'm getting a little weary. The battle's beginning to drain me. I need a refreshing. I need a fresh filling to get back out there and believe and to stand and put on that armor and get back into the battle. Well, before you leave, come on up. Let someone pray for you. Spend some time asking God just to give you a fresh filling so you can get back out there and fight that good fight of faith. Amen. Oh, man, it's a battle. Every week it's a battle. We fight new devils, right? New levels, new devils. Oh, new days come with new challenges and responsibilities. You, you know, you don't got to backslide to get weary, man. Just fighting this fight of faith will drain you. Isn't that right? 
you know, you, you can use up that gasoline as much as leak it. You can use it up. And so if you're fighting that good fight, you've got to practice drinking. You've got to practice this coming and getting refreshing. Isn't that right? You know that. You've got to get them spiritual electrolytes. Amen. Holy Ghost Gatorade. Amen. That's what you need. I'm going to pray the blessing, and then we're going to sing the song. And while we're singing, if you'd like prayer, if you need prayer, maybe you're here today, and you've got a doctor's appointment, you want to believe God for a special touch. I know Pastor Todd always has an oil bottle, and we're always ready to pray. Come on up. If you're just weary, if you need to make a fresh commitment, come on up. And let's have a good time in the presence of the Lord. Stand with me, please. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for the Bible that has given us revelation and understanding so we can have wisdom in how to fight this good fight of faith successfully. We thank you, Lord, for wisdom. And we thank you, Lord, for the refreshing of your Holy Spirit that we do not have to fight in our own strength, but in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. We can fight the good fight of faith and we can finish the race and we can keep the faith. Now, Father, I pray as we open this altar, if there's anyone that needs to make a fresh surrender, a fresh devotion, Lord, draw them, fill them, grant them a fresh impartation of life and spiritual boldness. If anyone's weary, let them come and drink from the river of life. Let them come and receive refreshing from the Spirit and presence of the Lord. If anyone's hurting in their body and they need a touch from God, Lord, you said to call upon the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and you'd raise them up. Oh God, raise them up. Raise them up and make them whole. Now, Father, breathe your breath of life upon this congregation and let this altar call see many answers and breakthroughs in prayer. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this one more time. Come to the altar if you'd like some prayer. In Jesus' name.